no helicopters have been procured for me to go to golf course. Thank you. I've never said he wasn't a great politician. I'm just saying he's a off. Who's listening to you? How'd you play out there today? Uh, well, I found the conditions challenging. Mostly because there's no grass on the golf course. But there never has been. I'm thinking about the swag bag. And I, I hope the swag bag. Trap. When you got three crevices on the green, your course is trash. What's going on, folks? Welcome back to Beltway Golfer Podcast, episode 36. Alex Dixon here. Uh, all Clark and Associates, uh, you know, doing a show about golf uh, in the surrounding region of Washington, D.C. Um, there's really no name that um, is associated with more golf courses in this area um, than, than the name of Alt, um, the, the founder of the firm, Ed Alt, um, and then his son, Brian Alt, and Tom Clark. Um, I sat down with Tom Clark for, for two, two podcast episodes earlier this year uh, down at his new project uh, at Lake Anna, cut along at Lake Anna, um, and wanted to make sure that uh, I, I got a chance to meet and, and have a conversation with Brian Alt um, to better understand his career, um, get to know him a little bit better, um, you know, what he learned in the business from his father. Uh, the reality is you can't do a show and claim that you are hearing from all the different voices that make up um, the golf landscape in the Washington, D.C. area um, without talking to all Clark and Associates. So we did Tom Clark earlier this year, um, and for this episode, it's uh, Brian Alt, who is going on 50 years in the business as a golf course architect, sat down with him at his home club, Montgomery Country Club in Laytonsville, Maryland, up in Montgomery County. Um, he's still active, and uh, we had a good conversation um, just about some of his different projects, how he got into the business, what makes him tick, uh, and his thoughts on the industry. So I uh, hope you enjoy it. Um, here it is, episode 36, Brian Alt of Alt Clark and Associates. All right. We are uh, out here with Brian Alt. How are you, sir? Good. Well, thank you. And we are at uh, Montgomery Country Club in Laytonsville, Maryland. Correct. Uh, you're, you're a member here. Long-time member, yep. And this is a course that was designed by your father. By my correct? father back in the early 60s. Back in the early 60s. Yep. Tom and I did some renovations to it over the years, and we rebuilt all the greens several years ago, and I oversaw that. You are the son of Ed Alt. Correct. And we're a longtime partner of Alt Clark and Associates, which um, for a long period of time was essentially you and Tom Clark. Yes. And and your team. <laughs> Correct. Correct. It was Edmund B. Alt Limited. Originally. Originally, till 1986, when it became a three-way partnership between Tom Clark, Brian Alt, and Ed Alt. Got it. And thus, when it's Alt Clark and Associates, it was two alts and one Clark. Sure. Then my father passed away in 89, and Tom and I have been carrying on ever since. Got it. So, is, um, you, so Tom was on the same podcast, talked to Tom for a while, uh, but I, I know you both are still active. Do you still operate under Alt Clark and Associates? Yes, or I, you do? yes I, I, we both have LLCs, mm-hmm. but we both do business as Alt Clark and Associates because that name is out there in the industry, sure. rather than just Brian Alt, uh, I think they'd recognize Alt Clark. Yep. Uh, right. So one of the reasons I, you know, I was excited to talk to Tom, and, and now excited to sit down with you, um, aside from you know your extensive um, experience and long career as a golf course designer and architect, but also just prolific. You know, Alt Clark Associates has been so prolific in this area. You know. Yes. D.C. area, Maryland, Virginia, um, and we're going to we'll talk a lot about that. But um, that's not the only place you guys have worked. No, no, you, you've worked all over. I forget how many states. And Tom and I both sort of kick ourselves for not keeping a diary mm-hmm. and being able to say oh, we've been in forty-three states and we've sure. done this many in that state and this. We, we just dropped that ball for some reason. Tom Tom brought a list to our interview. I almost had to cut him off because oh. he was he was he was. He well, was, that he, he was going down well, the he list. Did some and, homework. And I, I, I had a feeling it might have taken an hour because you guys but, have touched so many. But courses. I've talked to other architects, and 
from the day one they started, they kept the doc not not day to day, but this sure. course was done then, you know, yeah. and it makes sense to have done that. Sure. But we we didn't. People always ask how many courses have we done, and I don't know that we can name an exact number right. because it's, there's no official it's, running record of it. And we, and I, I, I would imagine in part is because a lot of that work was done before. You know, modern day computers and oh, yeah. everything was you know really oh, part yeah. of your day to day operations. Yeah. Um, so you got your start in. How, well, just tell. How, how did you get your start? I mean, I understand okay. your dad was at all, but walk us through how you got but, started. Well, let me. Okay, let me back up. My father worked for Pepco, Potomac Electric Power Company. Mm -hmm. He was getting ready to retire. He, my father was a scratch golfer. He belonged to the old Indian Springs at Four Corners was the club champion many times and he was well known he loved playing other courses and everything and he got to the point where people started asking his advice um, what would you do here mr alt can you fix this you know this problem or move the sand traps and, and he used to give it away for free mm -hmm. just to be able to play the course and then in the late 50s he, he started calling himself a consultant and was charging for a, a visit no big drawings, none of this, more just this is walk the golf course or play the golf course. This is what I do to make improvements. And they pay him a daily fee or whatever. And um, that was the late 50s. I think he got his first chance to really design a golf. He worked on Maryland University. Um, again, he didn't do the layout, but he put it in the field. He was the university's consultant. Yeah, okay. But it was an 18 old, brand new 18 old golf course being made. So that's you say totally, put in the field, you mean somebody else did the He had a blueprint, but still that doesn't get that green built sure. exactly the way you want it and that sand trap is, you know, you have to be there and talk with the the contractor and right. and make sure it's done right and done properly. So then during the early 60s it the business bloomed mm -hmm. and he did this course in 63. Anyway, Tom joined him in 71, I believe. But, but before you head up there, oh. we, had, we, had, we had talked about over lunch for a minute, because uh, you mentioned that he worked at Pepco, that yeah. one, of, one of his first courses was the old, which is now, it's now Algonquian Golf Course. It was Island View. Which was built for, for Pepco employees, correct? Correct. Yep. And that was the early 60s, as far as I know. And so he, he essentially designed but No, that was that, late 50s. But so he designed that course as a Pepco employee. Yes. Or a very recent retiree, right yeah. right in that bubble there. Got it. Yeah. But the 60s was very good for golf. A lot of developments were, were starting up, mm -hmm. and uh, they, they wanted the amenity of golf. So up and down the East Coast, he was busy. Tom came to him in 71. I came in in the spring of 73. I had done just recently finished two years of active duty for the Navy Reserve, I was working for the D.C. Highway Department as an engineer's aide. I was going to night school, taking civil engineering courses. It was Tom and another gentleman and my father, and my wife was the secretary in the office. Okay. So she started in the business before I did. But anyway, the, the other gentleman, I can't think of his name right this second, left. Mm -hmm. And my father needed help sure. for him and Tom. And he, came to, and he came to me one day and said, would you like to work with me? And I scared me to death. Um, did you have intentions before that? Did no. You, did you have No, I was a golfer. I knew what my father was doing. I had other things going. I, I was in a government employee, and I just thought this was going to be my life. Sure. You know, and, um, but I played golf, and I knew what he was doing, but I just never really had in-depth discussions with him about it. I know he was going over here, and he was he's yeah. away this week because he was over there. Mm -hmm. But anyway... Um, I came in in, in in spring of 79, I'll tell you real quick, the first day on the job was a Saturday, and he told Tom and I a couple of days before, we were to go down to Richmond to Mill Quarter Plantation, a golf course that they had just finished. Okay. Tom and I were supposed to do the, the final inspection visit so this contractor could be released. Okay. I got lost. I was supposed to meet Tom down there. No, I, this was long before GPS so anyway, we finally get there, and, and this contractor, he's a bit of a character. But Tom and I walked the entire golf course. It had been seeded the last fall, okay. except for a few things. So it was very virgin grass, and we were tiptoeing around a little bit. The contractor was riding in a pickup truck. He didn't 
couldn't care less. Right. And it, it was more just obligatory, get it over with. My sure. father didn't expect us to come back with a big punch list or anything, yeah. get this contractor out of there. So we walked all 18 old, and everything was fine. I don't think we even made notes. But afterwards, he, we took, he took us over to the house trailer that him and his wife had been living in, and we had hard shell crabs and beer. And I thought, this job's going to get along just <laughs> fine with me. And this contractor, God bless him, rest his soul, he built a golf course for us every year for the next 25 years. Really? Yep. But he, I say he's a character. He was an old Seabees equipment operator for yep, the Marines. Yep, yep. And he used to do things wrong on purpose. He'd point a tee crooked just to see if I would catch it. Now, if I didn't catch it, he'd point, Brian, you didn't see where this tee's pointing? You know, it's something like that. Sure. But, he, but he'd correct it, but he just wanted to test me to see if I'd find these little flaws that he left in the work. That's funny. Anyway, when, that's how my career started in golf course architecture. When, when you joined your dad's firm, um, you know, how was was real, real busy? You said one of his partners or one of his, uh, some of his associates just left. Associates just left. left. Yep. Was was he was business booming? When you know was he real busy? A lot it was of busy. Were... Yes, it was busy. Yep, yep. And Tom taught me a lot at the time. He he had a two year head start on me, and my father of course took took me under his wing, mm -hmm. and uh, I just progressed from there. I had done drafting, I had done blueprints, I knew how to read topo maps, mm -hmm. and all that helped. But you had to fit it into golf. And though I played golf, to see raw dirt and bulldozers pushing things. You know, that was yeah. new, and I had to learn all that. What was that learning process like? Was it was fun. Trial by fire from your Sort of. I mean, it, I was never put under the gun to do it myself until my father thought I was ready. You know, but he, we'd stand there and watch this bulldozer work, and he'd point out, now this is what he's doing, and I'll tell you a quick story. Yeah. A little into my career, I got hired by Mississippi State University. Okay. They were building their own golf course with, with their own personnel. They had had a golf architect, but... The gentleman passed away, and I was working on a country club down the road, so they hired me to help finish the golf course. The first thing they did was take me out to this green complex they were building. They had a bulldozer inside a sand trap, and there must have been 20 grade stakes around. The bulldozer couldn't move six feet in any one direction without hitting a grade stake. <laughs> they, so I went around and just picked up all the grade stakes and said, look, this isn't, this isn't, you know, science, you know, yeah. rocket science. Sure. And I said, look, Bulldog, the Tom or whatever his name was, I yeah. said, just give me a push here and backblade this and yeah. let's make this, you know. Sure. And in 15, 20 minutes, they, oh, it's a sand trap, you know. <laughs> and we went on from there. But that, that was, that was neat. So you can overdo it, but you've got yeah. to learn by under fire, really. Get it done, see it done the wrong way. I would imagine there's there's a lot to that in golf course design in general. Is it's very easy for somebody to come in with a golf course and and over design things. Yes, you can under design, you can over design, you can think you're doing well, but apply the playing of the game to what you've done in the field sure. is a different story. Yeah. You know, you've got to accommodate. Typically, you've got to accommodate golfers from 25 handicaps to five handicaps, yeah. and you've got to make that game interesting for all of them so how do you do that you know that's that's where it gets a little tricky sure. plus you're dealing with land drainage this and that and the other you know all of those other factors that you've got to build in a did budget you, <laughs> before you joined the firm and even before tom joined the firm did your did your father have you know did he focus on certain types of courses i i, get, I think the reason i ask is i think sometimes i you know in doing my research or looking up uh courses that are associated with all clark and associates a lot of the municipal courses around this area mm -hmm. seem to be um, alt courses, but maybe from the 60s, from the 50s. Back in those days, there was a certain style, these long runway tees. Mm -hmm. I mean, a tee would be 150 feet long, one, one tee on a hole, yeah. and it would accommodate three tee markers, you know, mm -hmm. uh, and certain sand traps and everything. But he was, I would say he, he was conservative. He looked out for the average player. He didn't build monuments to himself. He wanted it to function. He wanted it to be maintained. And he instilled a lot of those things into Tom and I, though mm -hmm. Tom and I, we were in our 20s, at the late 20s, at, and we sort of took that ball and ran with it a little bit mm -hmm. and uh, maybe outpaced my father in, in, in that type of, you know, 
designing for the future and designing for this. People were hitting it 10 or 15 yards further every year and that type of thing. Women's tees wasn't a concern to my father back in the 60s. They would play on the front of whatever tee was up front. Sure. And, you know, yep. no thought to, are they playing to 5,500? Is there sure. far seven? You know. Yeah, uh, just playing the forward tees, as it should be. Yeah. Um, you, you had, I think Tom had mentioned this, and, and you earlier, briefly, before filming, you know, you, you're, I don't know if you attribute this to your, to your dad, but just in general, you know, all Clark and Associates, you, you guys weren't the most expensive game in town. No, no, we weren't, and th- that helped, I think, in many regards, but between you and I and that camera, my father underpriced us several times. We, Tom and I thought, mm-hmm. now, you, you give them the wrong price, you don't get the job, right. so it's... Of most of them, it wasn't that we were playing up against other architects. But if the if the the client wasn't happy with your price, sure. he'd just move on to somebody else, and did, that's not unheard of today. Even you know, did the firm um, gain a reputational re- reputation for, for lack of a better term, being a, an affordable golf course design company? I don't. No, I, I think we our reputation got promoted by building good solid golf courses that sure. satisfied the client and, and all the other objectives and and the golfers liked it sure. you know, they it, it was 90 percent no 98 percent word of mouth what? we did not advertise in a bunch of magazines and and stuff like that it's hey i saw that golf. who did that golf course over here i liked it sure. all clark and associates right. did it ding 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 right, right you know right, right. But you do have on your website, and this, or I don't know if it's on your website. Maybe I read this as an old quote, but um, it, I don't know. Do you do you still live? Do you still appreciate this quote? White collar golf courses for blue collar budgets. There you go. Well, we were capable of that. Capable yes, of that. we were capable of that. And another thing, I don't know if you saw, we offered services from plans to play. We would help the client through all these different phases of because most clients knew nothing about a golf course. A couple of them would know how to play, knew nothing about getting one built or, mm-hmm. you know, what was all involved, what had to go into the maintenance compound to take care of it, where do I find a superintendent, to, you know, uh, and all. And we would sure. help them with all that. We just didn't go in and, here's the plans for a, for a golf course, goodbye, you know. Yeah. That and that was appreciated. Um, one, one of the, the things that maybe not many folks realize is just how many courses – your firm, not necessarily built from scratch as new designs, but just have touched in some, some oh. manner, whether it be uh, a full renovation or just updating a, you know, a few bunkers or a hole here and there. Yep. Uh, but the, a lot of your work was that sort of... Yes. It was just the, t- the times were right. In the 80s and 90s, a lot of these courses that were built in the 50s and the early 60s mm-hmm. needed to be modernized some. They were falling behind. All these new courses were bigger and better, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And they needed to get better tees, change their old sand traps, fix drainage problems, and all of that. And we fell right into that yeah. into that uh, market. You and Tom essentially became partners around when? 86, 86. when we became three-way partners. We were literally employees from the early 70s to 1986. And my father knew he was sort of, well, he was getting old. He was born in 07. Okay. So do the math so and and tom and i wanted it we wanted more than just being an employee we wanted our name not you know it was always edmund b alt when you answered the phone and Mm -hmm. so he he agreed make it a three-way partnership so tom and i have literally been partners since 86 and 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 your father um passed not not too long no 89 89 yep and we had talked about this in the in the 90s when, when did kind of the Golf course construction really pick up. 90s. In the 90s. Late, I'll say late 80s. My father missed out on it. Just right there, 88, 89. Um, but 90s were crazy. They were crazy. Develop, really, see, golf, back, especially back then, rode the wave of economy with, with development, with housing. Sure. And, of course, this area was always strong housing because of its association with Washington, D.C., yeah. And uh, people came and went, but houses kept getting built and kept getting, you know. So um, we had our, during the 70s and 80s, we, we would go a couple of months pretty slow. 
pretty slow. My father wouldn't take a paycheck sometimes to make sure everybody else got theirs, you know. Uh, we went through a little of that, and we went through some idle time, but right around, I'm going to say the late 80s into the 90s, it, it just got crazy. And the early 90s, like some of the courses that um, I know are, that, that you did a lot of work on or, or built in that, in that period, early 90s, we had talked about like Worthington Manor, Yep. Um, you know, one of my favorite courses, public courses around the D.C. area. Up in Urbana, Maryland. And you, and you worked on that in the early 90s with, with your son. With my son, Eric. Yep. He joined us shortly after my father passed, I guess, in 91. And he's the one that took us into the technology age. He knew compute, when computers were coming in. He took classes. He introduced all the employees to computers, the website, AutoCAD computing and all of that. And um, he was a great help. Great help. Do you remember much of, of the building and design of Worthington Manor? Because the, the, the design certainly stands the test of time. You know, yes, the they've US, had USDA. U.S. Open qualifying there. Yep. Yeah, I think they, they have it pretty regularly. And, you know, if you ask most folks around the area, you know, to, to list, you know, their favorite or one of their favorite public courses around, Worthington Manor's name comes yep. up quite a bit. It's, it's a little tough for some of the higher handicappers, but it's a good sign. Real quick, th that's owned by one family. They owe also owned Carroll Valley up in Pennsylvania near Gettysburg. Yeah. It's a ski resort, and uh, they bought that golf. My father did that golf course originally, and the Sturgis family bought that golf course at auction. Sure. And then the old man Sturgis at the time, and then the business got turned over to his son Bob, and Bob called Ed Alt's son to do Worthington Manor, so... With that. Bob Sturgis, by the way, has been on this podcast. I sat down and interviewed him. Oh, yeah. So I, I great I, guy, great guy. Yeah, I met met Bob, talked with him for about an hour, and, and he kind of talked talked a bit about how that decision process happened. Um, the uh, do you do you know around this area, especially during that boom? Do you remember any many other projects, um, you know, in Maryland that 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 have your name on it? Well, well, there's many. Let me, Rattlewood, Shaladon, Worthington Manor. Uh, Rattlewood's not too far from here. I mean, no. that's, that's Montgomery and, County. And it's right down course. the road from Shaladon. Those right. two are, are up there close so together. I mean, if you just look at the Montgomery County public courses, Montgomery's got nine courses. Yeah. I'm trying to. The, the like, county. If the you county go through got, them, the alt name might be yeah. on well, just we about touched, all. We touched. We didn't do the, all of the original courses. My father did a few. But we've touched them over the years. Plus, we've touched every country club sure. in these couple of counties yeah. over over the years. So a lot of which are not are no longer around. A couple of them have been plowed under. We've all gone through. I think every architect has gone through that. And um, some you miss, some maybe you don't. I did one called Trotter's Glen mm -hmm. right down the road. And, and it was a pretty good golf course. It was owned by a woman that couldn't get along with herself. And... Uh, poor service and the, the golf course just didn't work out and sure. people aren't sorry that that got yeah. now it's million dollar homes uh but others are more you know le less about service and rounds and, and more about other economic factors like like you and your dad's original home club indian springs correct yeah which, which i barely remember i played it once in high school but that, that was a that was a big time facility that was owned by one family like i said earlier the, right, the silver spring correct yeah the the original Indian Spring Country Club was at Four Corners, but the, here comes the Beltway. It wasn't built yet, but it was coming, mm -hmm. and they condemned the, the golf course. So the family bought property out here in Montgomery County and built what could called the, the new Indian Spring Country Club. 36 holes, 12 tennis courts, an Olympic-sized swimming pool, 80,000-square-foot clubhouse with a ballroom for 400 people, and it was, it was big to do back, in, back in then. That was the early 60s. So I basically... And that was your father's home club. I think yes, I read yeah. somewhere that's He didn't you. design. It had two courses. Somebody did a general layout of all the holes, mm -hmm. but my father put it in the field okay. and got, you know, put his boots on and went out every day and made sure it, it was built accordingly. And, uh, I, of course, I grew up in that atmosphere belonging to the old Indian Springs, sure. just using their swimming pool, yeah. and then coming to the new Indian Springs and enjoying that, and then... My father was, was the uh, Greens chairman for, okay. for this family and mm -hmm. for Indian Spring. And when he passed, the owners asked me to become the, uh, the Greens chairman. So I did that for 15 years until it 
Well, let me, let me tell you the story. Please. The family was growing old, and, and the, the, the monarchs or, the, or whatever of the, of the family didn't want to run it anymore. Mm-hmm. So they sold it to a developer, Winchester Homes, with the, with the uh, condition that there was going to be 18 holes of golf left. And, and the, the owner sent out a memo to all the members saying, we've been sold we're going to lose 18 holes of golf, but you're still going to have the clubhouse and you're still going to have. So I started working for the developer in trying to marry 18 holes of golf with his proposed housing. Mm-hmm. And we take this to the Montgomery County and they would shoot it down in a minute. No, you're breaking the environmental this. We can't let you do this. You've got to back away from this creek. You've got to do. And slowly the development area shrunk and shrunk and shrunk until it was impractical. And the owner and the and the developer said, "We can't live with with the golf course. We've got to let it go." Yeah. So, they they it's now fully developed. Four four hundred and some acres is fully developed, which is exactly what the county wanted for their revenue and taxes and and all of that. The the landscape of or it's kind of the golf course landscape, certainly in Montgomery County, but really all over the area. And I, and I imagine this is in most metropolitan areas, but. You know, over the last 50, 60 years, it's just changed so much. And I'm sure if, if any family's seen it as, as much uh, as the Alt family, you know, you know, I'd love to talk to them. But um, just in the fact, we were, we were talking about this, how many clubs and courses over the years are no longer around? Right. And, and there's some that I didn't even know existed. I mean, you know, the old, the, you know before White Flint Mall, that, that was White Flint Golf Course. You know, uh, you know na- na- Naval... Naval Medical Center so used to have a golf course. a golf course, yeah. Um, you know, uh, we were just talking about Washingtonian Country Club, and which is now where the Rio is off 270. And where, where um, NIH is, that used to have a golf course. Did it? Uh, what was it? Uh, I'm sorry, I can't. It, one of the popular, like Chevy Chase Club, moved out of there, just moved north. Got it. Um, because of development and, and all of that. So you, you, know, you get into the 90s, you and Tom get, get, get really busy. Um, you know, golf course, you know, you're, you're working on how many projects at once? 20, you know, 15, 20, 30 projects? Well, kind of new and renovation jobs, probably 15 a year, 20 a year, something like that. We we're, were up to having six architects in the office uh, of various uh, experience and everything. Some of them were brand, landscape architects, mm-hmm. and um, they did a lot of production work on the on the drawing boards um, didn't do too much in the field but until they, they you know accumulated some experience and everything it was during this time both uh, you and Tom both uh, had um, time serving as president of the American Society of Golf, Golf Course, Course Architect that's correct yep and that was quite a quite an honor uh, you know what is that society about is that is that essentially just you know every golf course architect as, as a way for you know, to, to collaborate or to, to share well, ideas? There's a or? lot of collaboration. Actually, it was, it was it, it's called the American Society, but it's really North America. Okay. It involved Mexico and involved Canada. And it was, an, it was formed way back in, in Bobby Jones' day and, and early uh, Robert Trent Jones, the founding fathers, back in the late 40s, um, to bring the architects together to collaborate in their knowledge, not okay. help each other actually design golf courses, sure. but to learn from each other and get to know what's going on in this region and what's, you know, and all of that. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I can remember when Tom and I were the youngsters in the society yeah. and we had to run and do errands and gather people up to get their photos taken during our, our conventions. And now <laughs> we're the old folks. It's, it's amazing. How have you, how have you seen? Cause I mean that that's just, that uh, organization is still alive and well. Oh yeah, oh yeah. And um, it went from fifty some members back when we were there to a hundred two hundred members now. Yeah. Well, after um, you know the, the the quote unquote tiger boom in the early two thousands, then you know yeah. uh, work starts to dry up a bit. A bit. Baby boomers were alive and well during the nineties, sure. and they they were the bread and butter of a lot of golf, sure. a lot of golf. They were fading out. They were starting to fade out. The, the industry looked to the youngsters, yeah. the next generation, yeah. get them introduced to golf. Tiger was a, was a big part of that. Yeah. Um, a, lot of, a lot of kids, you know, mm-hmm. took up the game because of, 
of what Tiger was doing. So now during the 20th, the 21st century, it's, it's all sort of leveled out. The baby yeah. boomers are, are fading pretty much out of it now. Mm-hmm. Here I am. Um, and we're trying to get young executives into the, into the industry. So um, golf isn't what it was 20 years ago, but it's doing pretty well. And I think, like you'll admit, the COVID, you probably heard, has really helped golf. People wanted to be outdoors rather than indoors, and they, they couldn't go to their office or were working at home. Yeah. Golf was a, was a natural outlet for them. And this club right here gained many members have, uh, during that. Within the industry, have you started to hear, you know, you know we're, we're, what are we, a year and a half into COVID now, and, and, and golf numbers are spiking back up. Does that mean investment dollars? Have you started, are, 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 is there... Are, are there new projects, you know, that at least, I mean, I, I know it's still way down from decades no, ago, but. No, the, the the new golf course in this area, no, unheard of. Yeah. Um, it was saturated back in the 90s. Yeah. Like you said earlier, a few of them, more than a few maybe, have been plowed up and, and put into development. I think what's now, any new golfer is welcomed and just making the existing golf courses you know, sure. on firmer ground, yeah. like this one. This, you know, we we were hurting for members 15 years ago, mm-hmm. 12 years ago. Um, the members didn't mind because they had the place to themselves. But economically, it was it was tough. But now, we're uh, the youngsters are coming in, so it's 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 good for industry. I'm curious. You know, since a lot of a lot of the work you've done is is, is renovations, um, whether it be an entire course or just a support or certain holes. Um, when it comes to private clubs and country clubs, is that oftentimes used as a way to gain gain more members? You know, or, oh or, sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. The the clubs play a game of keeping up with the Joneses sure. because they want members and everything, mm-hmm. and uh, they they have to put their best foot forward. Mm-hmm. Typically, a private country club, any initiation fees will go into capital improvements. Sure. That's sort of money on the side, yeah. and it's not running the course, but it's. It's helping to renovate yeah. it and, and update it and, and all of that. So, uh, but they've got to be careful not to overdo it and price themselves out, you know. But yeah. there's uh, some expensive clubs in the area, obviously, but their initiation fees have gone with the the economy, yeah, yeah. you know, up, down, whatever. Yeah. Well, we're certainly hearing that a lot, that just that, you know, uh, during COVID with everybody playing golf, that, that memberships are... Yeah, uh, you know, filling up again, uh, which is great. You, you mentioned, you know, the the the, the ASGCA. Do I have that? ASGCA you got the acronym right. Um, that there's so many more members now. Yep. With more members and golf course architecture being uh, really, it seems a lot more popular. Just like the studying of the architecture and, and paying attention to golf course design than it was ten years ago, twenty years ago, thirty yep. years ago. Uh, that must make your business more difficult to, to get work at. More competitive, sure. absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And uh, we went through a period, I, I, I'd say back in the 90s, where a lot of landscape architects that played golf mm-hmm. tried to become golf architects. And uh, some made it and, and, and some didn't. Mm-hmm. But they, they sort of gave the, the industry a black eye for a little while because they were, they were, de- having, they were developing courses that just wasn't going to make it from the from day one yeah you know they were minimal and they just didn't work out but but now there's a lot the the youngsters in the society know what the hell they're doing and uh, mm-hmm. it's sure. just competitive but yeah. again overall there's not that many new golf courses being built yeah. not around here there may be out in the midwest and st- still in the south yeah uh, the sunshine states and everything but so when i'm just kind of curious like because i don't know you know i know very little of the process of you know, bidding out for for a you know designer or architect, whether it be a restoration or what have you. But you know, if if somebody calls up Brian Alt or or, or ACA, um, and they want you know a portion of their course or their entire course renovated, you know, what what is when you give a presentation on yourself, like do you? I don't know. I, I, do you talk about a certain like a certain style that you have, or you talk about efficiencies, or you talk about no, you, know, you just present well, your experience, or how does you know? I, I would learn as much as I could about their objectives, uh-huh. and then tell them how my experience and expertise can make their 
expectations come to life and show them examples that that would be similar to that and and uh, yeah. make sure that they're comfortable with my services and you know I'm not going to just prance around and I'm going to you know get in there and by the way I just want to make one thing clear we never built a golf course we only designed them 99% of our work would go out for bids to qualified golf course contractors and that's a whole different story about is this guy qualified or you know is this con there's some great contractors out there and then there's some dozer operators that think they can build a golf green or a sand trap mm -hmm. you know then you've got to be careful in that regard but does it, does, i mean uh, there are some firms that have um shapers and dozers on staff and not, not a, everybody did it no but that and that's a bit of a controversy within the within the industry sure um they, they're able to sell a a, a client mm -hmm. the design and the build it's no, it's no different than, you know, my wife and I were, were thinking about, you know, adding a little bit on the house we bought not too long ago. And you start talking to architects versus design builds, and it's really a, you know, a totally different thing. So it's the same yeah. thing applies in, in golf course design. Yeah, yep, yep. But again, we, um, we put most all of our work out to bids. Sometimes you just negotiate with, with, a, with a builder. Mm -hmm. And that would, that's the easy, that's the great way. Yeah. And we just... Again, just negotiate the prices with them and um, avoid all this bidding and going through the, the reviewing everybody's bid. Because it's funny, the, the real quick, I don't want to bog down with this. When you bid a golf course, there's probably 30 or so items that a golf course breaks down into. Yeah. Tees, greens, sand traps, drainage, irrigation, cart paths, landscaping, you know, all that. And they would everybody would price these different things differently based on their whether they're going to sub something out or whether they can do it in-house and where am I going to hide some of my profit and so when you start comparing contractor A to contractor B they, they come almost perhaps to the same number but you're saying this guy's going to build the greens for this mm -hmm. and this guy's going to build the green you know and it, sure. it just yeah. so if you can negotiate with the guy item by item by item mm -hmm. You got it. That's the easy way. If someone is listening to this um, and either doesn't know your work or maybe is only familiar with the alt name because of some of the maybe the older Montgomery County Municipal courses that your dad did. Mm -hmm. Are there are there certain courses where someone said, you know, Brian, you know, give me an example of, of you know, a course or two that you would say, hey, this this is right. of course I'm, I'm, I'm proud of. Well, Worthington Manor that sure. you mentioned that that's a that's a privately owned public golf course. Yep. Um, if they were military, I'd say the South Course at Andrews Air Force Base. Um, that's a good example. If they're looking for a country club, I might point them towards Hayfields Country Club uh, up in Hunt Valley, Maryland, above okay. Baltimore. I haven't played that one. Oh. And uh, they they had the senior tour there for a while. Okay. And uh, again, that's a story owned by one family. They owned another golf course that me and my father worked on, and then when the youngster wanted a golf course of his own, sure. he, he, he came to me and, and did that. But hopefully, I'm known for building good, solid golf courses that, that don't drive people crazy. They're not going to lose a half a dozen golf balls. Sure. They're not going to shoot 20 over their handicap. They're going to they're gonna enjoy it. It, yeah. it looks good. It feels good. It plays good, you know, that type of thing. What was building a course at Andrews Air Force Base like? I mean, deal, deal, working on a military base has got to be a little bit different. That, it's a little bit different. You're absolutely right. And um, but if the general, the, the guy in charge of the place is is, is a golfer, and you know, he'll give you some free reign and let's get this thing built. And let's, you know, otherwise uh, it's it's pretty tough. But one thing at Andrews, we're right in the flight path at the, at the runway, and these F-16s would come down that runway and just turn and go straight up. And you and I could not talk to each other for about 30 seconds, loud, right? unbelievably. And the ground wouldn't really shake. But And then it was in the, because of Air Force One being there, mm -hmm. it was in the contract that whenever the president, whether it was Clinton or somebody else, was taken off or, or, or landing, the helicopters would go up and the contractor had to get shut down all his equipment gather all of his men sometimes the mps would come out and just you know stand around and the, zoom there goes the jet okay back to work 
you know, and the contractor <laughs> would get, you know, a little upset with that. But uh, I'm probably sure that that. But uh, other that than that, some things, I, would uh, I mean, other than that, I mean, the the military people liked to play golf too. Sure. I mean, Andrews had three golf courses. Yeah. Um, they had to close one because of a, a new hangar yeah. complex where Air, the new Air Force Ones are coming in, uh-huh. and um, it ate up a couple of golf holes, and they just decided to make one of the three golf courses nine holes instead of 18. Yeah. And you, we, did you do some work on Fort Belvoir? Or? That was Tom. That was Tom, okay. That was Tom. But we've done, I guess, a dozen courses on military bases. Really? All around. Yeah, I've been down to Florida, Cape Canaveral. I did work on the golf course there. All over. Yeah. On Delaware, uh, uh, the Air Force Base in Delaware, Dover Air Force Base. Did work there. My father did. I did. And we, you, but, again, in that regard, I can't think of an instance where the actual military federal government hired us. We were always hired by an engineering firm that, that, that had the, the contract. And they essentially subbed you out to do the... Yeah, yeah. Right, okay. Yeah. So um, they, they, they don't want to look to me. They go to the engineer who's also doing something else on base, you know, and just, I'm taking care of the golf course for them. That's all. A lot of the f- uh, listeners to this are, you know, are D.C.-based, and we had, we had talked about for a minute that you had done a little bit of work down at, at Fort McNair at the golf course right across from East Potomac. Yep. Uh, where the War College is. Yeah. Do you remember, do you, when did that close? That was early 2000s, oh, maybe? Maybe. Maybe. I lost track of that. Yeah. We've worked at East Potomac. We've worked at Langston. I did a lot of work at Langston did Golf you? Course. Yeah. Yep. For back in, Lee Elder ran it for a little while, yep. and his wife Rose. Yeah. Did, were they the ones that hired you to do some work there? Yeah. They did. Yeah. And then later on, they, they, we're in it for I don't I forget how many years, but they got out of it, and some other people came in, and we we uh, renovated nine holes, and um, was that the front or the back? Do you remember? That was the back. Oh, the back now, okay. Back, yeah. Some of the, it was some of it right along the Anacostia was was occupied by I forget what it wasn't a landfill, but it was something. Anyway, we they got permission to go into that property, yeah. and that allowed us to expand things and and make the back nine a lot better. Do you remember much about um, you know, that era of Lee Elder down at Langston? Because there's not, you know, it, aside from, I know he used to host some, like, celebrity tournaments. There's some pictures around. But there's not a lot of information about no, well, his, that. Well, his, between you and his wife was the business person. Okay. Lee, Lee was the golfer. Mm-hmm. And he knew golf and et cetera, et cetera. But his wife handled all the business. Got it. Okay. And um, she would attend every meeting. She would look over, you know, my contract, so to speak, and mm-hmm. and all of that. Lee was there, but she was the businesswoman. Got it. Interesting. So just like as as Langston example, because I know that's a course that a lot of people here play a lot, or listeners probably play and know it well. Like on take the back nine there, like when he brought you in to renovate that. Well, like, was, no, that was past Lee Elder. That was past Lee Elder. Yeah, Lee Elder. But so I, the, we might have done a few sand traps or whatever. Got it. During it, but they were. But I guess my they question, didn't. They didn't have the financial back uh, back uh, standing that yeah. these later later people had, and the federal government was very hesitant to. Uh, I, I I don't know what department it was. I think it, was the, it was the National Park Service. Yeah, I guess it was the Park Service. Um, didn't want to make big investments in, sure. into the into East Potomac or Langston or the so other. work you would have done at like those type of courses was more. You know, fixing up or expanding or changing bunkers. Just getting by. Just fixing this problem so they can get by. I that's see. all. Got it. Okay. Yeah, it wasn't big, fancy improvements, no. Until that one t- one time, the, the the company that was had, had the lease to, or the contract to run it, mm-hmm. they made the investment and, and brought in workers that they were familiar with and, and got it done. Yeah. On, you know, on a shoestring budget, sure. but made made some improvements there. Interesting. Okay. Um, and so, you know, a, a life as a golf course architect, you know, we're, we're focusing here in the kind of the D.C. area in Maryland. And um, but we touched on you traveled a lot. But I mean, you done some international work. Oh, in yeah. China. I did two in China, one of them in inner Mongolia. How does that sound? What was that like? Way, way up north, almost like Wisconsin, maybe. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. And they were building, literally building a new city. I mean, a new city. Oh, multi, multi, 10, 20, 30, 40 high rise buildings and everything. Yeah. And they wanted a golf right across from the airport mm-hmm. that they were rebuilding. 
And um, the only the the Chinese were very enthusiastic. They 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 did more hand labor than we did, but they had big equipment, and they always hired an American shaper. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know that your, your listeners realize it, but every golf course construction company has what they call a lead shaper, sure. and he would put the put the finishing touch mm-hmm. on a smaller dozer on sand traps and tees and greens and all of that. Yep. The uh, the rough shapers would go in with their big machines, move all this dirt and all that. And then the, anyway, so the Chinese would hire that. And that made it. But of course, we were doing inspection visits and all. But my other one in China was way down south on the island of Hainan, which yeah. was like Miami, Florida, palm trees. And, and they were going on almost at the same time. So I had to go over with overcoats, and shorts. And you're flying back and forth. Yeah, and, and shorts. And I'd go to one of them first and be freezing or whatever. And then I'd fly to the other one and I'd, I'd wear shorts, you know. So it was crazy. But, uh, yeah, I did one overseas in the country of Qatar, Q-A-T-A-R. And uh, that was for Qatar Petroleum Company. They had an 18-hole golf course. I'm going to say, though it was in meters, but it was probably 6,500 yards, all dirt. Not one blade of grass. It was sand, not really dirt, sand. And they put oil on the greens to keep the surface smooth and stop it from blowing away. And you take a big squeegee and smooth your intended putt line before you putted. And yes, they were a little slow, but on the fairways, they'd stake the edges of the fairways out, I'm going to say every 50 or 75 feet, 25 meters, whatever it was. And if your ball landed within those stakes in the fairway, you could put down a little piece of astroturf and hit your ball off of that. But if you're outside the fairway, you're in the desert and you hit your ball as it lied. And all players, I said, you got to be beating up your clubs. And they said, typically you'd take a six or a seven iron and that would be your, uh-huh. your desert club. And you just, instead of, you know, you just give up going to the green. You just yeah. use your old club. That, that's that's one I hadn't heard before. Do you, do you, did, you, do you, did you give a test? Well, those, did they you try won't... to put a few balls on those greens that were filled No, I guess I, I never did. But to finish up the story, they wanted to turn it into grass. Mm-hmm. And they've been putting oil on the golf course for 50 years. There's no way you're going to grow grass. So I, I did a plan, brand new 18 holes, plus some practice holes and all that, uh, one meter above what they were going to put. And um, Did they ever do it? It just so happens that the price of oil was, wasn't good at that time, 15 years ago, whenever, 12 years ago, and uh, they put it on the shelf. I don't know that they, they ever did it, but I'm, it's no time to go back now and find out. So you've been, you know, since 1973, you know, doing some quick math. You're, you're 48, coming up, you're coming up 48 50, 50 years. years in the industry. Yep. Still active. Still active. Yeah. Still playing golf. Still playing my handicap golf. is... Dit, 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 dit. Sure. I'm one of the old folks here, you know. Yeah. So we've been talking a lot about, you know, golf courses, you know, in this region. But what about your work outside of this area? Are there any courses that really jump out that are like kind of your favorite? Uh, y- yes, certainly there are. Um, Kentucky built a, a trail of, uh, wanted a trail of golf courses like Alabama had. Sure. And um, I was lucky enough to get two of them. Okay. Uh, Dale Hollow and, and Grayson Lake. They're all in state. All the, they have seven courses in this trail. They're all in state parks, okay. and uh, I I got to do two of them, which was very gratifying. And one Dale Hollow was number one in the state after when it opened and got a lot of uh, a lot of up. attention. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, um, I, I don't think I've ever picked up a, cl- a club in Kentucky, so I have to. Well, I'll they're have they're to check it out. They're good for golfers down. But one thing on on uh, I I did a golf course also in Kentucky, uh, General Burnside Golf Course. It's on an island. In the Cumberland River, it's a state the, park. The entire course is. The entire course is on an island. Okay. And we blew the. It was an old course from the 40s or whatever, and we literally blew it up in 18 brand new golf holes and everything. And on opening day, the governor was there and and all these other dignitaries and park of state park officials and everything. Spe- speeches were made, and I got up to say a few words, and I said something to the effect that typically. People think because I'm the architect, I know how every putt breaks on every green that I've ever designed. Well, that's a gross exaggeration. But I told the people here, I said, look, this is one course where I do know where they all break towards the water. 
That's neat. <laughs> that made the evening news, I'm right. told. Right. So anyway, but that, that was fun. But that's another good, solid golf course, public. I mean, how, how big is this? Is it the kind of thing where you can, you know, you're always got a view of the river? I mean, or is it pretty Almost, large? almost. No, it's it's big. I guess it's, the golf course took 175 acres and there was another 100 acres. There was campsites, yeah. um, a swimming complex huh. on there. And there's, you know, we didn't really talk about this, but some of the uh, some of the folks that, that used to work for the firm, uh, Bill Love, right, um, Dan Schlegel, Dan Schlegel, and in this area, Bill Love designed uh, Laurel Hill, yes, the public course down in, in and in he, he did the renovation of University of Maryland. He did, okay, right, right several right. years ago. So you, you said you're working. You told me you're working on a course now up in, in in New Jersey. Is that right? There was some renovation work in Milford, New Jersey. And in Mercer County, New Jersey, and so you're just going to keep going. Is, re is retirement in your future? Is this the kind of occupation where it's too much fun to retire? Uh, yes, it's too <laughs> much fun to retire. But uh, it, it's, it's funny you say that. Back, I can remember flying all over the country meant nothing back in the '90s. Yeah. Tom and I going, we'd pass each other in the airport. Where are you going? To, you know, and that, that yeah. you know, almost, and um, think nothing of it. But now it's it. Travels changed, and sure. and driving three hours up into New Jersey, up the Turnpike, you know, yeah. isn't quite the way it was yeah, yeah. when I was, you know, forty or fifty years old. And, yeah. But no, I still, I still like, I like the enjoyment of getting the job done and and seeing the client smile and say, mm -hmm. yes, this is what we wanted. Thank you very much. You yeah. know that type of thing. Yeah. Um, you know, for would, would you? The legacy of um, your dad and the entire firm, you know, the, the legacy lives on in the golf courses that, that you built. Certainly, yeah. you know, it, it's, hard to, it's hard to play golf um, in this region without playing an all Clark and Associates golf course. You're right. Tom and I, one, I, I guess a reporter asked us or someplace, so the question came, how many rounds of golf each year do you think are played on alt Clark courses. And Tom and I tried to figure that out one time. And it's a million or yeah, whatever. Right, right. And that, that's sort of satisfying knowing that yeah. that many people are, are enjoying the courses. So sure, it, sure. It, hopefully it'll, it'll live on past us. Yeah. Having a, a show and being a golfer in this area, you know, there's, there's so much history with your firm that it's great to, to learn more about, you know, your career and the firm's career and, and your family's kind of legacy of golf courses. So thank you very much for, for oh, sitting my down pleasure. And, my pleasure. And chatting. It's been great. Thank very you, good. Thank you, Alex. I don't have a good golf game, but I don't really care. I'm a I'm a regular dude living in DC and I want to know about DC centric golf stuff. If you can tell me something that I don't already know, then that is great for me. I don't want the regular stuff. I want exciting stuff. I want different stuff. I don't want stuff I can't hear elsewhere. But I want it to be about DC golf.